This is Ideas Worth Exploring by Mark MacDonald. There's a popular saying that goes like this, Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit, wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad, and philosophy is wondering if ketchup is a smoothie, and common sense is knowing that ketchup is not a smoothie. I actually disagree with the first statement of the saying. Knowing a tomato is a fruit hardly even counts as knowledge at all, unless you also understand what it means for a tomato to be a fruit and what that implies. So let's discuss it. Today we're going to talk about botany, the science of plants, with a special focus on tomatoes. The science of studying plants is called plant science, but it's also called botany, which means the same thing as plant science. It's important to study botany because of this simple fact. You can't plant any flowers if you haven't bought any. We do not have any surviving works from our boy Aristotle about botany, though it is believed that he wrote at least two treatises on it during his life. However, one of his students named Theophrastus, who I will henceforth call Theo, wrote extensively on the subject. Theo described the shape, history, and uses of different plants. He also understood in basic terms that flowering, plant, flowering plants used sexual reproduction to produce offspring, but he didn't understand the specifics. All in all, Aristotle and his student Theo laid out a good foundation for future plant people to start from, but they didn't know anything about photosynthesis, which we won't talk about today, but I might dedicate an episode to in the future, and they knew very little about the specifics of how plants reproduce, which I will talk about today. It's going to go like this. First, I'm going to talk about flowers, including why bees buzz, why flowers are colorful, and how pollen is created. The answer to the last one rhymes with orange. Then I'm going to talk about how in modern agriculture, most of the things we grow are actually clones, and why this means that your favorite type of banana might go extinct. And finally, I'm going to talk about tomatoes, and why some weirdos insist that a tomato is a fruit. Disclaimer, most of the discussion today centers on flowering plants, which make up 94% of plant species, but there are some notable types of plants that don't have flowers at all. For example, the ginkgo trees that will come up later don't have flowers, but they still produce pollen, so at least that part of this discussion still applies. So first of all, pollen. My natural enemy. If you hold pollen in your hand, it looks like a yellow powder, though it can also be red, purple, white, or brown. The reason it's usually yellow, though, might be because that color is easy for bees to see. It turns out that bees and most other insects can't see the color red at all, but they make it up for it by being able to see some colors we can't. More on that later. Anyway, pollen is made of tiny grains that contain the male reproductive cells of the plant. Second of all, flowers. Flowers have a colorful part, the petals, and then they have the part in the middle where all the important stuff happens. Think of a tulip. When a tulip's petals open up, there are those little bits inside that stick up like tiny paintbrush heads. They all surround a central sticky out thing that's sometimes a different color. These are the pistil and stamen. The paintbrush heads are called stamens. They're the male parts of the flower that produce pollen. And the central sticky out part is called the pistil. It's the female part of the flower that gets fertilized by the pollen. The end of the pistil is sticky. When pollen lands on it, it gets stuck there. If the pollen is compatible with the flower, then the flower feeds its nutrients and water, feed it, feeds it nutrients and water and helps it grow a tube down deeper into the flower to attach to an ovule or the female reproductive cell. Then the genetic information from the male and female parts combine and a seed is born. One more quick fact. The part of a plant flower that creates the reproductive cells of a plant is called the sporangium. An old word for sporangium is sporange, 
which happens to be the only English word to rhyme with orange. Unless you want to get into proper nouns, then there's always the Blorange Mountains in Wales. And I don't know how you would incorporate either Sporange or Blorange into a poem, unless it's specifically about flower reproduction or Welsh geography. But anyway, I got distracted. Third of all, fruit. A fertilized ovary turns into a fruit. A fruit is the name of the thing that surrounds the seeds of a plant. Sometimes the fruit is just a protective coating to house the seeds, but sometimes the fruit's edible. Making a fruit that's good for us to eat is expensive for the plant in terms of nutrients and energy. So why do they bother? It's because plants don't have feet. Plants need a way to spread their seeds, and one way they do that is by making fruit that's delicious for animals to eat. It's a type of symbiosis. The plants get to spread their seeds, and the animals get to eat fruit. And in case you missed it, a flower only turns into a fruit if it gets pollinated. If it doesn't get pollinated, no fruit. Actually, sometimes it's possible to trick the plant into thinking it's been pollinated, and then it produces seedless fruit. That's where seedless grapes and seedless watermelons come from. But in your own garden, you'd better just get your flowers pollinated. Many plants can't pollinate their flowers without help. Flowers are pollinated by the bees. And I don't just mean honeybees, though those are included. The bees include a bunch of animals that start with the letter B. Birds, bees, butterflies, and bats. There are also some others that don't start with B, like flies and ants and natural forces like the wind, but it's more fun to think of pollinators as the bees. Also, here's a fun fact about bees, this time meaning honeybees. Sometimes bees buzz to shake the pollen out of flowers. The pollen is stored inside the flower so it doesn't escape at the wrong time. But when a bumblebee buzzes, it literally makes the flower explode with pollen. In case you were wondering, according to National Geographic, the note a bumblebee buzzes is a middle C. The reason flowers are colorful is to attract the bees. The bright colors are a signal saying, hey, I'm over here, come eat me. Not that bees actually eat the flowers. Many flowering plants produce nectar, a sugary sweet incentive for the pollinators to come and visit the plant. It works in a similar way to fruit. Nectar is what honeybees turn into honey. But many pollinators, bees and birds and other bee-named animals, also eat the pollen. It's high in protein, according to Google. But normally these animals are messy eaters, so some of the pollen gets stuck to the animal's body and carried to the next flower, which lets the flower spread their genes around. Some flowers are only pretty in ultraviolet. Ultraviolet is a color of light that we can't see, but most of the bees can. Yes, there are a lot of colors you can't see. Your eyes only have three color sensors. They can see red, blue, and green. And all other colors you see are just some combination of those three colors of light. Bees also have three color sensors, but theirs are for blue, green, and ultraviolet. That means they can't see red, but they can see ultraviolet light, which is invisible to humans. Many bird-pollinated plant flowers are red because bees can't see red, but birds can. As a side note, dogs only have two color sensors, which is why they can't see the color red. It looks black or brown to them. But some animals have more color sensors. The mantis shrimp has 16 different color sensors, so maybe in the future we'll be able to genetically engineer humans to be able to see more colors. Actually, nature has already started the process. It's still being studied, so this information might be outdated soon, but some women have a fourth color receptor, somewhere between red and green. This condition is called tetrachromacy, and often the brain isn't able to take advantage of the extra sensors and just sees the normal range of colors. 
but for some people it, get, it lets them distinguish between many more shades of color than the average person can. In general, men don't get this condition because of how the gene works. If they inherit the gene, they usually go colorblind instead. Too bad. Okay, time to get back to flowers. Not all flowers use color to attract pollinators. Some plants produce a smell like rotting meat to attract flies. Some plants even have flowers that resemble the females of certain insect species. When the male insects come to mate with them, they pollinate the flower instead. And some plants don't need to attract animals at all. They just use the wind to spread their pollen. Those are the kind of plants I hate because while pollen isn't usually dangerous to breathe in, if you have allergies, your body mistakes it for a full-fledged alien invasion and decides it's time to go to war. A chew. You thought we were done talking about plant reproduction, but we're not out of the woods yet. Here's an interesting fact about ginkgo trees. Many, most plant species have male and female parts on the same plant. You could say they're bisexual. The normal thing is for a plant to be bisexual. However, some plants are weird and they separate the genders, with the male parts on one plant and the female on another. These kind of plants are called dioecious, and they do this to prevent self-pollination. Here's a story about a particular type of dioecious plant. I'm recording this episode from a room on the campus of Brigham Young University. Here at BYU, there are ginkgo trees planted in several places on campus, and ginkgos are one type of tree that separates into male and female trees. The female trees drop fruit that, when it rots, releases a putrid smell. One contributor to the campus newspaper described it as vomit with a dash of cheese, popcorn, and feet. According to the story I heard, BYU bought only male trees so they wouldn't have that problem, but they failed to recognize an important fact about tree gender. Trees can change their gender if they start to feel lonely. The male ginkgo trees change to female, and now they produce fruit that gives off that terrible smell. In other words, and I apologize in advance for the terrible joke, the ginkgo trees became transplants. But the gardeners learn their lesson, and when they plant new ginkgo trees, they use a type that does not change its gender. So how do they ensure consistency in their ginkgo trees? Humans come with all sorts of genetic diversity. Just because your parents are both tall doesn't mean that you're going to be two. Maybe somewhere um, you had a short ancestor in the past, and you'd take after them. But for plants, they can be very sure that a new plant will be just like its parent. And... Um, that was parent singular because I'm talking about cloning. Many species of plants are cloned to make sure that they give consistent results. And this isn't some sort of futuristic technology I'm talking about. We've been cloning plants for over 2,000 years. For example, on many types of woody plants, you can cut off small branches, place them in water until new, root, new roots grow, and plant it in the ground to make a new plant with identical DNA to its parent. Easy. Or sometimes, you can just take a part of a root, and it will grow into a new plant. That's why weeds are so hard to kill unless you get the whole root out. Over the years, we've perfected the art of cloning plants, and now we do it all the time. Examples of plants that have been cloned include all of the following. Any named variety of rose, most named varieties of other flowers, some types of trees, like the ginkgos I mentioned earlier, and also many of the fruits and vegetables that you buy from the store. In fact, onions, garlic, potatoes, and almost all fruit trees were never even grown from a seed. They started their life as clippings from another plant. If talking about plant cloning weirds you out, you can make it sound more natural by hiding behind scientific jargon and saying the plants are propagated by asexual vegetative methods. 
but it means the same thing. The children have the same DNA as the parent. Cloning isn't the only way to ensure consistency, but it's definitely the coolest way, except for when it leads to the annihilation of bananas as we know them. If you've ever heard someone's grandpa say, bananas just don't taste like they used to, they were completely correct. Before the 1950s, the most popular type of banana was a completely different variety called the Gros Michel, and it was slightly sweeter than the ones we have today. But since they were all clones of each other, when the wrong disease came along, none of them had immunity to it. It was called Panama disease. It was caused by a species of fungus, and it almost wiped out the Gros, Gros Michel banana. Scientists worked quickly to develop a new banana that was resistant to Panama disease, and what they came up with is the banana you find in every grocery store today, the Cavendish banana. But the problem isn't over. The disease is mutated, and now the Cavendish banana is in danger. The disease spreads before symptoms even show, and there's no cure. So maybe 30 years from now, the Cavendish will go extinct, and we'll have to switch to a new type of banana. This type of food insecurity is the price we pay for having consistent bananas, and it's a problem worth thinking about. Okay, we've talked about plant reproduction, we've talked about how plants are cultivated using clones, now it's time to get to the real meat of the issue, the question you've been waiting so long to answer. And here it is. Is a tomato a fruit or a vegetable? First of all, that's a loaded question. If you feed that question to an omniscient AI, then the answer would be clear. Yes, a tomato is a fruit or vegetable. But if you ask a less omniscient human, you might spark a debate. A tomato is a fruit because it has seeds in it. No, a tomato is a vegetable because it's not sweet like a fruit. So, what's the answer? I will submit to your consideration. Maybe you don't know what a fruit and a vegetable are. This is a question of definitions. So, I will now define the words fruit and vegetable. A fruit, botanically speaking, is the part of a plant that grows from a flower and contains seeds. By that definition, a tomato is definitely a fruit. But then, so are cucumbers, peppers, peas, pumpkins, zucchini, eggplant, corn, olives, and every type of bean. If you're going to insist that a tomato is a fruit, then you also have to recognize that every one of these also deserves the title of fruit just as much. Now let's define vegetable. Vegetable is not a botanical term, so I'll just use the Wikipedia definition. A vegetable is a part of a plant that is used for food. That can be leaves, like lettuce or spinach, the roots, like carrot or rutabagas, the flower, like broccoli or cauliflower. Yes, cauliflower really is a flower. The stalk, like celery or rhubarb, or the fruit. Yes, all fruits are vegetables by this definition. So if you're going by this definition, it makes no sense at all to say that a tomato is not a vegetable. Yes, a tomato is a fruit, but that doesn't mean that it can't be a vegetable too. Maybe you want to change the definition so that a vegetable is any edible part of a plant except for the fruit. That seems like kind of an arbitrary definition, but sure. However, if you stick with that, then you still have to include cucumbers and peas and all the rest in your definition of fruit. And for most people who make a habit of regularly eating food, that's not an acceptable compromise. Instead, a much better way of defining fruits and vegetables for the ordinary man or woman is to use the culinary definition and separate them by sweetness. Apple, sweet, therefore fruit. Onion, not sweet enough, so vegetable. Tomato, be honest with yourself. Is it really sweet enough to call it a fruit? No. No, it is not. Vegetable. 
Next time someone tries to insist that a tomato is not a vegetable, you can tell them they're wrong. But do it in a way that makes you sound authoritative. Like, actually, it's a matter of definition. If you use a botanical definition, then a tomato is both a fruit and a vegetable, because a vegetable is the edible portion of a plant, and a fruit is the part of a plant that contains seeds, and a tomato is both edible and contains seeds. However, if you use a more common culinary definition of fruit and vegetable, a tomato is a vegetable and not a fruit, and as any three-year-old would know. Then they'll walk away crying, and you can congratulate yourself on your success. If you're still not convinced, then know that even the Supreme Court agrees that a tomato is a vegetable. In 1883, a family of tomato importers sued a New York tax collector about it. The law at the time dictated a 10% tax on vegetables, but not on fruit. The tomato people argued that the tomato was technically a fruit, but the Supreme Court ruled that while technically a fruit, in everyday, in everyday life the word vegetable means things usually served at dinner, in, with, or after the soup, fish, or meats, and not, like fruits generally, as a dessert. So next time you feel like protesting against the Supreme Court, you can go out and make a tomato pie. That's the end of my tomato rant, but here is one last tomato fact before we end. Tomatoes belong to the nightshade family, same as potatoes. So most of the plant, except for the fruit, is poisonous. But the tomato used to be feared in Europe for a completely different reason. Nobles would eat from plates made of pewter, which is a metal alloy that often contains a lot of lead. Since tomatoes are acidic, when you ate one on a pewter plate, it would leach the lead from the plate and give you lead poisoning. Because people died from lead poisoning after eating tomatoes, the tomatoes were blamed for the deaths. Killer tomatoes. Okay, time for rapid-fire plant jokes. Why did the tomato turn red? Because he saw the salad dressing. What do you call a cheerleading herb? An encouragement. Why was the gardener so embarrassed? Because he wet his plants. In summary, plant reproduction is more interesting than you gave it credit for. Bees can see colors you can't. Many commercial plants are clones, and a tomato could be either a fruit, vegetable, or both, depending on what your definition you're using. The end. In the next episode, I'll talk about a topic I've wanted to cover for a long time, special relativity. Peace. This has been Ideas Worth Exploring by Mark McDonald.